This is EdTech Weekly. I'm your host, Ricky Zager, and I am super happy that my compadre, Matt Harrison, is back. Matt, you've been with us from the start, and I just get a lot happier when you're here to do the show with me. Is that Does that scare you at all, or...? Well, I I would actually uh, argue I've been on every episode. It's just you keep cutting me out. I don't know this program fails thing. I'm doing air quotes. You can't see it, but it's being done. Well, that just makes me want to turn this into a video recording as well so that not only I can see it, but the six or seven listeners that we have can listen to it too and see it. How about that? Well, they can see my garage then. Well, I actually kind of think that was very neat in the background when, when I had that up for a moment. So I think maybe they should see it too. I don't know. It's very messy. All right, Matt. Well, you're back. Let's get to our first story. A post on ChronicleVitae.com warns that if you ignore ed tech, it may be at your own peril. Now, Jonathan Reese, a history professor at the History of Colorado State University, wrote the article, and he brings up some interesting points here. He's definitely looking at it from a higher ed perspective. But there are some some things K-12 educators can definitely think about here as well. He mentions that teachers should make sure to keep abreast of new changes in ed tech. Specifically, he talks about uh, being introduced to Google Cardboard at a meeting he was at. Uh, being aware of new technology is sort of where he's going here. But I, I'm not sure that that's enough. Uh, no, I don't think that it's enough, but I think it's a good first step. Uh, what I usually see with a lot of articles when people try to push people or schools towards acting more like businesses. I think that there's a lot of great things that they could be doing to be a bit more involved when it comes to the new technology that's coming about. And they seem to kind of miss that boat sometimes. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it, it just bothers me. I feel like the terminology here, and I, I know he's just trying to be sort of a champion for not running away from technology, but it's the language here just saying, just sort of keeping you know, aware of what's going on. And he goes on to extend further with some other things too. And he also tries to explain to those who argue that, you know, Hey, I've, you know, I don't know if you've heard this before from teachers, but I've heard this before, you know, I've been doing the same thing for 20 years. And if it worked 20 years ago, why should I have to change it now? Um, and he's sort of, I don't know the way he talks about this it makes me think that he's kind of on that side and then also on the other side. So it's kind of hard for me to understand. He, he claims that it isn't the methods that are bad, but it's the environment and how that's changed in the classroom that makes these things more precarious. Uh, in my opinion, this method of lecture and then multiple choice that has been going on for years and years. I mean, when I went to high school and college and now it was a while ago, but it was in the 90s and early 2000s because, you know, I spent some extra time in college, um, but not for the good reasons. Um, you know, that's what it was like. And I don't think that's good teaching practices i mean i think we're finding out more through research now that active learning is the key and that's really what's going to get more people to be successful and to actually learn things so i, I don't know if i agree with him here either i mean I, I think the overall message is that he's trying to get across here is that you know times are changing and education is getting competitive especially in the you know uh, higher ed universe and that professors need to work harder to reach students at their level. And I can definitely get down with that. Like I agree with that. You need to be as an educator finding ways to meet students at their level when possible. It doesn't mean you have to throw caution to the wind and throw every piece of technology possible in your course. It just means that you have to try to 
get them to relate to you or you relate to them on their level in some way, it just helps them learn when they think that you're at least trying to be a part of what their world is. I mean, that, I think that's just teaching 101. And I think that should have been the case 20 years ago as well, but I just don't think teachers have always done that. Well, I agree with you. I mean, I, I reading this article and actually reading all of the articles as a whole um, and some of your notes, I am reminded of uh, just social theory by J, uh, Jeremy Bentham and the idea of the panopticon. And basically it was this uh, 19th century system that he developed when it came to prisons. And it kind of sounds weird, like talking about prisons and then talking about education, but they have, they share a lot of similarities, especially how they're built that you know you have one room with a lecturer and he can house and teach 300 people and you have the focal point of 300 you know, 20 to 300 people all on the same person and it's this idea that you can have a return on investment and this will come in later in different arguments that you spend you know sixty thousand dollars a year to have a professor and of course times have changed so it's probably a little bit higher but sixty thousand dollars in a year can teach 3,500 kids because he's teaching that class so many different times, and then you have a higher return on investment. And we've been looking at it from that standpoint. And I think technology kind of bridges the gap between those two things where you can reach more people on their level so it's more personalized. But as we've talked about with so many of these different stories, that you become somewhat tone deaf to the idea of what a student is actually going to want, what they're actually going to use. When we go down to the end of this episode and you talk about one of the new ways that people can reach out to you, I doubt a year and a half ago you would ever think you would have that app. Why would you have that? There's absolutely no reason. But you're seeing that as society grows and goes into different areas, you need to reach out to people in different ways. And so we have to change things around. I think Google Cardboard is a good way of doing that. And maybe for some educators, it's a great way to get your feet wet in VR without it costing you an arm and a leg and you don't have to buy an HTC Vive. Yeah, know? yeah, exactly. You know, but I think when you, when you get into it in that light and you think about how much it takes for teachers to really use that technology in a good way, I, I get I just get scared when we try to put it on teachers. Like, you need to learn more about this. Well... Let the students take care of some of that for you. Sure, get the VR in there, and you're going to have some students who have probably experienced that. And if not, they might be excited to learn more. I don't want to make it incumbent upon teachers to expect them to not only keep up with but understand all the usages of these technology things. And, and they're going to have to know what's going on. But to teach using it, uh, that's a tough sell for me for just the average teacher. I don't know. There's got to there's got to be a lot of structure and a lot of infrastructure that changes for that to happen. Um, let's go ahead and get to our next story. And this is a parentherald.com article and explains that EdTech is invading preschools. That's right. The term invading sure makes it sound negative, Matt. I don't know. They are specifically talking about a tech tykes program at a local YMCA that's integrating technology into their program. They're teaching preschoolers how to use technology like tablets for educational purposes. And the program is starting small, only about eight students. The first eight to sign up is what they said. But as we've seen in other stories, you know, EdTech on a small scale is probably a good thing, especially for new programs. So we may be able to see what worth it has. You know, there's a lot of issues to think about here. Number one, I know we hear a lot about screen time these days. How much screen time are your kids getting? And is that okay? Is that the, is it awful? Are they going to... You know, never never be the same if they have too much screen time. Um, expectations that 
you know, are these kids going to be like, oh, I'm in kindergarten now and what the heck, man, I don't have a, a tablet. How am I supposed to learn anything? You know, that's a that's a fear. And then how about shutting out those lower income preschoolers? Of course, one hundred five dollars a month extra um, is certainly not unbelievably expensive, but it's definitely a roadblock to anyone who has, you know, does not have the means for sure. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a pretty cool idea. I mean, you know, they got 11K grant. It sounds like somebody found a way to write a grant and get some money for it. Um, to me, it looks like another program where teachers or uh, parents uh, can drop their kids off after school or before school or for whatever reason to have them, you know, go hang out with other kids and play with technology. It's, I, I don't know. I, I, I look at it as there are so many different variables and so many different things that could happen with it that to me, it seems like a good idea and then seems like a bad idea if it goes the wrong way. And my mind works in so many different ways that I think it'd be awesome if my kid could sit in a circle and learn how to, you know, draw on an iPad. But then the other part of me is like, what are we teaching the kid? you know, that you can only learn via this device. And, you know, if I have to buy a new iPad every year, what is that going to cost me? You know, yeah. back in my day, you know, and then rants and raves. And Yeah, I mean, it, it's an interesting discussion because you get to the point of where are we saying that these students learning at a program or even at school or wherever it might be to use these tablets is somehow going to better serve them for education? I, I just... You know, as much as I love technology and as much as I love tablets and those types of things, I I struggle with that. I struggle with trying to see that these tablets for these preschool kids is going to turn out to them being more successful in school. I don't see that connection yet, and I don't know that it's not there. It just scares me when we say, hey, we're going to teach them this. Okay, but to what end and for what purpose and how is it going to serve them as they, you know, get move forward in education? There's a lot of things that I think educationally – we teach kids and can help kids that have nothing to do with technology and technology isn't needed. I don't think that there's negatives in terms of reaching them at their level and allowing them to sort of be a little more interested because of the medium, but it's just not enough there. So I'll be interested to see if this, you know, blossoms and if this becomes a bigger thing. But for now, like you said, let's just see what happens and let's kind of let's kind of wait it out with some of these things and see you know, at this small scale, it's not going to be anything too horrible. And we might find out that this is a good thing to do to start with pre preschool kids. I don't know. All right, Matt, our final story. This is an EdgeCert article that gives five reasons to avoid EdTech conferences. You know how much I love these lists and top five and top ten reasons. But this one actually seems to follow through with what it says. It doesn't really feel like clickbait to me, Matt. Um, it goes through five reasons why, hey, you shouldn't be going to EdTech conferences. It's a pretty interesting article from Ed Surge because I would assume that, you know, Ed Surge would be a company that would probably have a booth or be, you know, visible at EdTech conferences. So it's kind of interesting to me that they come across this way. But, you know what, after reading this, I, I agree a lot. Like, I love going to conferences, but it's mostly to get away and to meet people and that kind of stuff. But when it comes down to it, let's look at these five reasons and see what we think and see if this makes a lot of sense. The first reason they say is networking is easier and more effective, you know, basically just using technology from home. If you're on your phone or you're on your computer, like it's it's not as effective when you're there and trying to navigate through groups of people and find people and all that kind of stuff. What do you think about that, Matt? Well, I think virtual connecting 
trademark, by the way. Sounds wonderful, and it's brought to you in part by Smiles. Um, <laughs> in all honesty, I think the shift has been there for a while. I mean, uh, you know, you yourself, you've talked about how you use Reddit now, and I know you've used it for uh, a lot of camera stuff and learning uh, to do different things with photography and videography. Um, I think it just kind of takes a little bit more for you to do it on your own time. One of the things that I kind of got a little bit, I don't know, wary of was networking is easier, more effective using technology from home. Well, if you're a teacher, doesn't that blur the line a little bit more? And I know that was not all of us are able to shut off what happens during the day and we're not constantly evolving and constantly thinking about what's happened, but how much more can you kind of expect? Yeah, and I think that, to be fair to the article, that is my generalization of what they said, but I think it pretty much well, summed up what they were saying. Well, it did talk about that a little bit too. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it, you know, I think it's kind of was my interpretation. But again, yeah, I, I don't think that necessarily people are going to find it easier and more effective to use these pieces of technology. But I think where they're headed here is the right direction, which is the tools are there. Maybe the way it's set up isn't as low entry level or whatever for some people. But I, I mean, I, I kind of tend to agree with this. I feel like I've done a lot more networking on Twitter and on um, even Facebook and even, of course, on Reddit. I've gotten more connections and more articles and more information from people those ways than I've probably ever gotten at a conference. So I, I kind of I'm on the I'm on their page with this one. So let's go to number two. The basic format is basically someone getting up and lecturing and at the end of the day, we as educators say that's the worst thing for teachers to do. And man, Matt, this is like one of those things that bells go off in my head because I've been saying this for so long and so many of us have been saying this for so long. When you go to a teacher training, it's like the most boring sh reading straight from a PowerPoint. Uh, it's just horrible. And uh, there's a lot of interesting sessions at these conferences for sure. But at the end of the day, it's really somebody just talking to a group of people and it's like, you know, we talk about project-based learning or active learning and in so many circumstances that is not what's happening at these conferences. So it's, I get that frustration and I understand why they would say that's a reason why not to go. Oh, no, I, I mean, coming from the business background, you know, I've gone to a lot of conferences where it's the same thing. You have somebody who sits up in front of you and talks to you and mundanely drones on for hours and who really even knows what they're talking about by the end of it. But I look at it more as like a process and social identity, like seeing the power structures that exist in the room and, you know, using that to a social benefit later so that I can be the bell of the ball and oh, then, uh, always you know, the network later. I, but again, all these things are basically, I don't know. I don't know, Matt, but you're, you're always the bell of the ball at our show. You don't have to worry about that. Uh, the social structure is skewed towards you. Don't worry. Yeah, it better be tomorrow. Uh oh, what's tomorrow? I don't know. I'm just We're kidding. going to lunch. Oh, yeah, sure. I'll see you at lunch tomorrow. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah. Super busy guy over here. Oh, I've got <laughs> things to do. All right, Matt. Let's get to number three. You get stuck in silos, basically saying that usually it's the same people who attend these conferences. Now, this is one that I can speak to as well, and I agree with that. It's usually the same either techie teachers or the same people who are in the technology department, those are usually the people that come. And on some level, that's fine because those are the people who are sort of trying to do this. But I get their point here, and I think what they're trying to say is these conferences don't really attract 
just the average teacher to come. But I would say that they haven't really put anything out there that makes more sense to me to draw the average teacher either. I don't think the average teacher is going to be more drawn to go somewhere online, you know. So I, I think to me that falls a little bit short, but I get it because you definitely do see the same people. Oh, no, absolutely. And it's the same thing with um, like if you go to a Chamber of Commerce event or something like that in your local area. It's You have you have your evangelists, the ones who are hardcore about it all the time. Um, I look at more and more of these. I have a few friends um, that are in education as well. And, you know, with less and less time being given for conferences and being able to travel and go do these things, you know, businesses and, you know, relationships that exist between, you know, Panasonic or whoever the platform is um, to give all this stuff, they have to hype it up as much as possible. So you have a lot of the same people who are going to go to them because they're the ones that have the time to do it. And it just sort of, you know, it silos everything off because you yourself or, you know, your department head gets to dictate what kind of conferences you're going to go to. If, you know, this year it's all about tactile feedback learning, you know really well you're going to be siloed off into the tactile feedback, you know, learning type stuff. So did you, uh, it, did you trademark you know, as, Did you trademark the tactile learning feedback? I mean, Conference 2017. I think you should definitely trademark I, that. I hear Pittsburgh's really nice. We should have it there, um, especially in, no, it, in winter. Hmm? In winter, it'd be wonderful. Yes, it would be a w winter wonderland. Um, but it, you have si siloing off because there's a season. I mean, it's it's like with anything else. I mean, when you have more and more conferences and more and more play for people to go to, you're going to start seeing more and more regional events that exist. You know, you and I are talking about going to E3 next year, um, really to kind of look at it from the perspective of tech education. But it's the biggest thing out there. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that there are a dozen other places we could go, maybe to Atlanta or Orlando, maybe not Orlando. Nobody likes going to Orlando, um, but Atlanta, maybe Atlanta. I hear Atlanta's nice. Um, you know, they probably have some events out there. Of course. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, Matt. I feel like there's a lot of really good segues going on here. You talk about a season. I'm talking about winter in Pittsburgh. You're talking about hype. And that's actually number four, too. Number four reason that you shouldn't go to these conferences is too much hype. And they basically kind of get into that whole you, f you feel like there's this relationship between business and schools and like, yay, we're going to work together. And this is all so good. But when it comes down to it, it's a lot of fluff in a lot of ways because it's really just businesses trying to make money. And it's it feels like it's manufactured excitement, I guess, sometimes when it's in that level of this company and, and a lot of times what these conferences are are large floors where it's just you know product demos and meeting company people getting cards and, and all that kind of stuff so i mean i've fallen into this or i've seen this being fallen into at some conferences as well like you just you start to believe that this company is really working with this group and it's going to work really great and then when you actually get it and when you're county actually starts using it you find out oh yeah this doesn't do what they said and they're not going to support you with this so yeah I, I get this as well yeah i revert to my number three okay well if you want to know matt's opinion on that just just rewind the, the podcast a little bit yes. all right and matt this one is also something i think you mentioned earlier and it's number five is bad roi bad return on investment so essentially what we're talking about here is the amount of money that you're spending for flights for hotel for the conference fees for food for per diem all of that kind of stuff is 
not worth what you are taking home. And, you know, I think it just really depends on what conference you go to and what you make out of it, because I can totally see that being the case. Like I've been a part of some conferences where they were not very exciting. And this, these weren't specifically ed tech conferences, but where it was like, okay, let's just hang out at the pool today and not go to this lecture. You know what I mean? So I get that part of it. I think a lot of that has to do with not just how much money you put in, but how much effort and time you put in. So I think those things can sort of be maybe balanced one way or the other based on your effort as well. But certainly there are cheaper ways to learn um, and to get some other insight and to get some, um, what's the word I'm looking for, Matt? Get some other relationships being built um, with people and, and kind of working that way. There's cheaper ways to do just those things, certainly. Oh, yeah. No, in the article, especially in uh, point number one, they talk about using Slack and Google Hangouts and Google Groups. Yahoo Groups used to be big back in the day before all the bots took over. Um, Love the bots. You know, things like that, that you can connect with people. Reddit has an amazing community. Um, we've talked about it all the time, um, I feel like, and I'm sure the six people love it. Um, but, you know, to me, five is why one through four exist. You know, if there wasn't bad ROI, it, networking wouldn't be, you know, easier and more effective. And I think it just kind of maybe for a long time, there were so many different conferences that it was more like social happy hour, um, you know, talking with friends who are in, you know, uh, collegiate academia and who go to AMA conferences and MLA conferences. It's not about listening to the one guy you know, talking, it's about, you know, meeting up at the uh, local gin joint after and, you know, getting to talk with your favorite professor who has waxed poetic on uh, James Joyce for such a long time, uh, you know, but that's the reason why the basic format of getting up and lecturing for an ed tech conference where it's, you know, thousands and thousands of people is less effective than, you know, a smaller conference or you know, even look at what's happening with Comic-Con. You know, it used to be that it was one big, you know, area that everybody went to. And there were these massive conferences where information was, you know, let out. And, you know, Marvel was announcing the Avengers series and all the movies for that. And they still do it. But you see so many more of these tiny, tiny little panels that pop up now where people want to be involved. They want to be actively learning. They want to talk with their creators or their favorite things. And I think... You know, on some level, a lot of these conferences have to kind of catch up. Um, we can have huge conferences that are massive that take over, you know, huge swaths of land and cities, but it's about connecting with teachers as much as teachers want to connect with students. And maybe the roles need to sort of, you need to look at it like that and not just patrons who are going to come and listen to you, but people who actively want to, you know, get to know you and get to know your product and get to know your ideas. And maybe there's a philosophy that they can get behind it. They want to start doing that. Um, I mentioned products. I don't know that maybe, maybe that slipped out. Um, I don't know that I necessarily want to start hearing more and more about Panasonic developing a 900 foot tablet, but you know, yeah, I mean, I think I know what you mean. That the, behind that. the people who are there um, sharing resources or whatever they have, you know, they're going to, and I think this will develop, in its own pace and in its own time. I think the more people realize that, hey, you know, these type of conferences aren't really a good return on my invest on investment, they're going to stop going. I mean, at some point, this is going to have to correct itself. And I think you're, what you talked about with Comic-Con, those types of things probably will all influence, as, as so many things often do, 
in the you know sort of pop culture world influence a lot of things including education so i think it'll get there and matt and we do have another segment that we're going to be adding to the show and that's just going to be a feature resource we've talked about this you know if you've been a listener from the beginning uh, or been listening for a while and i know there's a couple of you out there you know we've talked about this before and so the idea here is going to be that we're just going to give you a way to perhaps interact with something or improve something whether it's a um, an app or a website or a program or just a way of interacting with things and so for today i thought it was pretty um, on point to go ahead and talk about ways to connect with other educators that don't involve going to a conference so this is really easy and it may or may not be something that you think of or have ever done but it's basically finding a community so an ed tech community in a place that you already spend some time so if you're big on facebook um, just search for ed tech or other educational pages uh, like them follow them look what people are commenting on comment share stories become a part of that community and create something uh, the same thing with twitter you know at first uh, when i started getting on twitter somebody said about twitter chats and you know, at first I wasn't really that into it. And lately I've done a lot more with them. And basically all you have to do is follow a hashtag. Um, you can look and see uh, some some chats that are up. And I'll put some links in uh, edtechweeklyshow.com that give you a way to find some of these different chats. But really you can either, you can be passive and just sort of look at what people say and suggest. Um, you can comment with just one person. If one of the things someone says gets there, you can just do replies with them in Twitter. Um, you can be really active with it. So it's something that you should definitely check out if you're on Twitter. Again, if you're not on Twitter, try maybe try it out. But I'd prefer you try to go places or suggest that you go places where you already are. Uh, Snapchat as well. Like there's ed, there are ed tech presences on Snapchat. I know Snapchat gets a bad rap. Um, but if you're somewhere and you use a social network, look for ed tech stuff there. Why not kill two birds with one stone and find some things that can give you some inspiration? It just To me, it makes sense. So whether you just look at what people are talking about or whether you get involved and become the, the community just you know these are ways the simple free ways of networking again you can look at them as like mini conferences even like there are certain ed tech chats on twitter and other places that are directed towards specific topics so hey that's like a little mini conference and it's usually in the evenings on a weeknight you know maybe this summer especially for educators is a good time to get going with that so i'll put some resources on our website edtechweeklyshow.com put some links to them so that you can you know get going with some of these endeavors and it will help you out if this is something that you want to do. Um, obviously we mentioned it in a lot of the shows, but feel free to um, join us on those social media areas. Of course, we talk about Reddit all the time. Our subreddit edtechweekly.reddit.com. Uh, we had, uh, I wish I could remember his name. If you could get on the Reddit real quick, you could, you could check it out, Matt, but um, he has posted a bunch of his blogs um, articles that he's put on his blog. I think it's great. Like I, I just want people to go there and share. Um, and there was a couple of them. One of them's on Twitter. So go there and check it out. Um, which is pretty awesome on Twitter. Uh, Adam, a Hill Adam is his username. I think yeah. Yeah, he's on Twitter too. I followed him on Twitter as well. So check that out. Uh, again, you know, you can be as part of it. I know that there's like 40 or something people that say are viewing or watching it. So I know there's people there, um, if you want to be a part of it, great. If you just want to look and see, that's awesome too. Um, on Twitter at four tech teachers, I try to just post some stories, um, and I engage in some of the chats and I also retweet some pretty cool stuff that I see out there. I've been doing that more lately. 
You obviously have Matt's favorite phone number, 305-92-TECH2. You can call the show if you want to get some ideas across. And you can use edtechweekly at gmail.com. Now, I have some interesting and exciting news. We had a listener, Christy, uh, email us, and she actually has commented on our website a couple of times um, at edtechweeklyshow.com. She's been listening for a while, and uh, she answered the call to want to be a guest host. So I'm going to be sending her some information and emailing her so we can work out the details. She's got a few topics that she's really interested in, so I figured we could have hers be one of the featured segments. So, again, that's great. And if somebody really wants to get out there and be a part of the show like that, please do. We'll, we'd love to have you. If you just want to you know, kind of join the little social networks and sort of see what's going on, anywhere i just suggest that you try to find places that you're into and that you already use and, and then we'll go from there so matt any other uh, info that you want to share i have one thing i want to ask did she call in she did not call in no yeah that number is hashtag fail stop it we've had th- we've had three <laughs> people we've had three call-ins okay two meredith one daphne it's not a fail yet okay it's not a fail okay but if you um, are trying to find it on twitter it's that hashtag fail Yes, it is. You will see um, it. Follow that hashtag, and you will see that number start, come up. I'll start tweeting, but don't read the rest of my tweets. They're all bad. Yes, don't follow him on Twitter unless you have a strong stomach. No, not stomach. Yeah. Strong. Constitution? No, nah, I don't know. If if you're not easily offended, let's put it that way. Hey, whoa, 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 you whoa. You can be offensive, let's be honest. I th- hey, no, okay? That spaghetti string was way too short in Lady and the Tramp, and I didn't care for it. Oh, my goodness. I see what you did there. I see what you did there. That's awesome. Nobody else that listens to the show knows what you did, but I know what you did there, and that's awesome. Yeah. All right, Matthew. Um, well, we so really... my oh, one thing ahead. that I want yeah. to talk about is in the subreddit Learn Programming, um, yes. I just kind of float around on there every once in a while. Someone named DHA Wall um, has put together 227 free online courses and CS courses, MOOCs with feedback, exams, homework, assignments that you can start this month that's awesome um, i'm going to post it into our subreddit um and then give him all credit because that's amazing um but you know it's another example of a bunch of different communities out there um where people are working together come up with stuff to make everybody else around them better web dev has a lot of stuff um web hosting is another great subreddit um if you ever need web hosting they all talk about different ways you can do different things and who to avoid and where to keep your money safe um, in web hosting to not get taken advantage of and stuff like that. So yeah. again, just as Ricky was talking about all these great, um, communities that you can be a part of, uh, to become, um, a more, uh, apt, uh, consumer. Um, not only that, but learn a couple extra skills, maybe push some of your students in that direction to learn some new stuff as well. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a huge important point that you bring up there. Um, I'm not saying that you go tell your kids to get on Snapchat. They're already there. What you do is you tell them, hey, what social media are you on? What do you use? Look there for information if you want to know stuff, if you want to learn more about things, if you're interested in things. Uh, same advice we'd give to you. Um, I Man, go to Reddit and like Matt just said, search for something you're interested in. It doesn't have to be about teaching. It can be about something that you're just passionate about or interested in. I guarantee you'll probably find a community there that's got some really good info for you. I've found a couple of them that way, and I know Matt's just shared some with you as well. So get on there. Uh, get in your social networks, get in anywhere that you find yourself being, especially, and try to find, you know, like-minded people who are there too. share some stuff and, uh, you know, be a part of that community, be a part of that almost, you know, it's a little kind of cliche to say at this point, be a part of that almost, you know, um, ed tech conference that's ongoing and that social 
you know, experiment or experience that's ongoing to help you sort of spur some awesome ideas and then also keep great ideas moving along. And I think that's a, a, a good place to sort of shoot for if we can do that. All right, Matt, we've done a really long show. When you get on the show, Matt, we have so much to say. I uh, appreciate you being on the show. I'm still waiting for that you and Meredith, the elusive unicorn of all EdTech shows, you and Meredith being on the same show. Um, I have a feeling that if it happens, I won't be there or something really odd. I don't know. doesn't seem possible, but who knows? could happen. All I right, think Matt. we actually all have to do it live in the same place. We'll do it live. I like it. Whoa there. Yeah. Whoa. Yes. You got aggressive. <laughs> Sorry. All right, Matt. That's the end of our show, and uh, you know how it goes. People want to hear from you, Matt. Any good word for the people as they go into their weekend? Um, I'm just going to say be safe, guys. It's, like, really important that you're safe out there. Totally. Oh, yeah, totally. Totally be safe. All right. We'll see you next time on EdTech Weekly. Bling, bling. I expected, like, a dude.